I'm so excited about tonight. I am so honored. I want to first thank our pastors for letting me share. It's great to have pastors that will let you share when God puts something on your heart that will trust you enough so I don't take this lightly and I want them to know. Thank you. Um, what pastor was just saying, the, a lot of times, or I heard, I, I've heard um, great men say this before, and I don't know where it originated, but the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when we look at things in the Old Testament, now that we know the New Testament, it's going to make a lot more sense. So tonight I want to talk about this symbol. Can anybody tell me what this symbol is? What this symbol stands for? Healing, yeah, it's used in the medical profession, right? It's a symbol for the medical profession. Um, I want to talk about where this originated. Um, first of all, this originated in the Bible, which we're going to find out in the book of Numbers. Um, the medical profession adopted it because it is a symbol for healing. Um, some of you might recognize this one instead. Well, in Greek mythology, they adopted this for their god of healing. Okay? So, you know, every counterfeit has an original. And then a few, and then in the 1900s, um, the medical profession started using this one, which is another Greek symbol. This one was for the god of healing. This one was for commerce, merchants, and thieves. Interesting, don't you think? But yet, it stands for the medical profession today. I'm not even going to touch that. But let's talk about the original. Amen? Turn with me to Numbers 21. We're going to read verses 4 through 9. This is where we have the story. Talking about the Israelites traveling through the wilderness to the promised land, um, this story actually takes place in Numbers after they decided they were not going to go into the promised land. Okay, So in verse 4 it starts, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. There's our story. So, let's break it down just a little bit, okay? First, let's point out that the souls of the people were becoming discouraged before the story happens. Um, if you look at other translations, um, it'll say the spirit of the people was overcome with weariness or the people became impatient on the trip and criticized God and Moses. The message translation says the people became irritable and cross as they traveled. Anybody ever been irritable or cross? Right. I think we've all been there, right? Yeah. Um, the key is not to open your mouth when you're irritable and cross, right? Because that's the next lesson. They open their mouths, and instead of speaking faith, right? Instead of saying, God, you're great, we're going to get through this, they said just the opposite. And they began to speak against Moses. And by speaking against God-given leaders, you're speaking against God. Okay, so that's the lesson there. So um, they got more and more dissatisfied the longer they went. 
because let's face it, if you don't want God's way, if you don't want to do things God's way, you're going to get more and more dissatisfied. Because what else is there? God's way is going to be the good way, the best way, the satisfying way. But if you don't want his way, then you're going to get more and more dissatisfied whether you like it or not, whether you think you're going to or not. And so that's what happened. Next, they lied. First, they said, you brought us out here to die. Is that why God brought them to the wilderness? No. Is that why Moses brought them to the wilderness? No. Right? So they, right off the bat, they just lied. They said there was no food, no water. Was there no food? No, there was food. Was there water? Yeah, there was water. Right? God had already proven to them both. Right? So they lied. They taught, they said things that weren't even true. Right? In their discouragement. Which I think we can all, right, relate to. (laughs) Then they began to loathe the provision they did have. See, when you start complaining, then you, don't, you stop even recognizing the good you have. So they called the manna they were getting worthless. That manna kept them alive for 40 years. Worthless? I don't think it was worthless. But they were saying it does us no good. You know, that can be similar to some people's views on the word of God. It does us no good. Oh, right. Watch your words. Watch your words. Or how about Jesus, the bread of life? Jesus does no good, right? Or communion. It's just a ritual we do in church. Don't say it does no good. Those, all those things, the word of God, Jesus, communion will nourish those who by faith feed on it. Amen? So, so verses, all those things will bring you life, the word, Jesus, and communion, if you do it by faith, right? Whereas complaining, now that's worthless. How many of you know there's absolutely no faith in complaining? You can't complain and be in faith. Think about it. Think about a complaint you've had recently. There's no faith in it. You're not turning to God in it. There's absolutely no faith in complaining. They themselves said they would die. What happened? Some of them were bitten and died. So confession is pretty important. So let's say what we mean, right? Let's say what we mean. Um, Now, some theologians believe... You know, it's, I know in our translations it says that God sent the serpents among the people. But a lot of theologians believe the snakes had always been there. But they were preserved from harm from the snakes until this moment. Because why? They wanted outside the will of God. Right? And when you go outside the will of God, what else is there? Right? If, if you don't want truth, you're going to get deception. If you don't want God, you're going to get darkness. Right? So there's no other choice for that. In fact, Deuteronomy 8.15 tells us that God... Moses speaking, who led you through that great wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions. So those were in the wilderness. And they were preserved from all of that until this moment. Right? right? So it's not necessarily God who sends your, you know, disappointments, your whatever, your bad times, your sickness. It's never God. Right? He keeps you from that. But when I was, as I, um, I love the story of the Israelites, even when I was a young girl, because I just knew this story was about us. was about people in general, you know, and if I could learn from their mistakes, I knew that I, I, you know, would not have to deal with their problems, right? And so it's put there for our admonition. That's what Pastor was saying, right? So I love the story. But then as a kid, I would read this story and it wasn't really until, I mean, years and years later that I figured this out, but I just hated that the snake was on the pole. 
Like, why, God? Why did you put the snake on the pole? I mean, the snake is the bad thing. The snake is the thing in the Garden of Eden. He's horrible. It's, he's representative of the devil. Why are we lifting up the devil and having to look at the devil? You know, I hated that part of the story. And then um, God reminded me of 2 Corinthians five nineteen through 21, where it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So when he put that serpent on the pole, that was representative of Jesus being made sin for me in the Old Testament. And when I got revelation of that, it just so touched my heart. Even back then, you know, and having to see Jesus as a snake just tore me up. Does it not tear you up? I mean, I just hated that he had to become that for me. But so thankful. So very, very thankful. So the story goes on, and anyone who looked on that serpent, anyone who looked on Jesus as the substitute for their sin, anyone who looked on him as the sacrifice, their sacrifice, their sin, anyone that word word look at means beheld. It doesn't just mean glanced at. It means regard, see, look intently at, consider. Anyone who would look at Jesus could be healed. You know, if they had decided to keep looking on their wounds instead of at Jesus, they would have died. And that's a lesson for us, too. You know, if we keep looking at the problem and not the solution, we can die. We can die in our problems and never come out when the solution has already been presented. The victory is already ours. You know, just a side note I want to mention here. A few years ago, um, you know, sometimes people hurt you. Sometimes good-meaning church people hurt you, right? And Jesus not only was the sacrifice for sickness, right, on, on there. Anyone who looked on him could be healed. Anyone that looked on there could be saved, meaning you could be forgiven. So I was dealing with some, like, forgiveness issues. And God spoke to me one day, and he said, Jesus bled for that person's sin against you. What more do you want? Like, after that moment, I didn't need them to apologize to me. I didn't think about what they did to me one more time. I just cried. Because what would I want that person to do that Jesus didn't already suffer? What, what could they do? You know, Jesus already was the sacrifice for what they did to me. So if I didn't accept his sacrifice for their sin, what more was there? What, what more could there be? Anyway, so Jesus became sin. What if... Looking at the snake on the pole was how they felt about the worthless bread. What if they thought just because they thought it wouldn't do any good, they didn't do it? They, they wouldn't have gotten healed. They would have died, right? Just because we think it won't do any good doesn't mean it won't. How about we just obey, <laughs> right? Um, the Bible talks about the foolishness of God in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You know, I can't explain how saved happens. All I know is when I go to Jesus and I repented of my sin and I ask him to be the Lord of my life, something changed in my insights. My wants and desires were different. You know, bad was bad, good was good. I mean, you know, Jesus talked about it in John chapter 3. When he talked about to Nicodemus, he said, you know, we can't, the spirit of God being born again is like the wind. 
We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes, but we see the effects of it. That's like salvation. Is like I can't explain to you what happens. I can't explain to you what you will have, what what will happen to you. I don't know how it happens, but I can show you the effects of it by my life. I, I can show you I'm saved by the things I care about and the things I don't, by how I live my life and how I don't. I can show you the effects of it. And so it may look foolish to some, but to us, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. So I want to talk tonight about healing as a part of redemption. Because sin is the original and underlying cause for all sickness and disease, right? It wasn't until people sinned that sickness came, right? But Jesus bore our sins. And if he took care of the sin problem, then it only follows that he took care of the effects of that sin, meaning sickness. We've done a good job. I think the church has done a really great job of preaching Jesus on the cross, saves you from your sins for salvation. But that same Jesus on the cross guaranteed your healing, as evidenced by this story. Anyone who looked at him would be healed. Anyone, all who would look at him. All they had to do was look at him and regard him. You know, we, I'll keep going. T.L. Osborne said one time, Christians need never to be, or people need never to be unhealed any more than they need to be unsaved. Because the sacrifice that was for one was for both. The same Jesus on the cross that guaranteed my salvation, that I don't have any problem believing. It's the same Jesus on the cross that guaranteed my healing. Anyone who looked at the serpent on the cross was healed. All who looked were healed. So let's turn to Isaiah 53. And I know these are familiar passages, but we're going to read them anyway. (laughs) So there. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Right? By his, Now, do we believe that verse or not? By his stripes, we are healed. So what Jesus endured on the cross guaranteed your healing. Just like it guaranteed your salvation. Same sacrifice. Same verses, right? Bruised, surely he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. We don't have any problem believing that. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was on him, and by his stripes we are healed. Both in the same verse. Forgiveness and healing. All right, let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2. Verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Forgiveness of sins, healing, same verse, right? Same verse. How about Psalm 103.3? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all, right? All our iniquities, who heals all your diseases, both same verse, right? Same verse. He was our substitute for both. There's a link, right? I mean, three verses right there. Salvation and forgiveness and healing side by side. And we've been big on forgiveness, but as a church, we've not been big on healing, like unsure. Like, why are we unsure? There's three verses right there. That guarantee that healing is just as sure as salvation. 
What about Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. And you know the story. These guys bring a bed, a man on a bed who was paralyzed. They can't get him in, so they lower him through the roof. When he saw their faith, he said to the man, Man, your son's sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? Which is easier to say? I mean, just in English, they're both the same to say. It's not one harder to say than the other, right? But where it's concerned, where sin and sickness are concerned, sickness is a result of sin. So if sins are forgiven, sickness is healed. When you're dealing with one, you're dealing with both. So it was no easier for him to say. In fact, it was no different for him to say. Your sins are forgiven as it was your sickness is healed. Get up and walk. It's the same thing to Jesus. It was the same sacrifice. His body would be the same sacrifice for both. You know, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 6, says, you've been bought at a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit. He bought both. He redeemed both. Both have been redeemed. Both belong to him. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Right? So there we have it again. Forgiveness is the same. Forgiving sins is the same as healing the sick. It's the same thing. It's the same sacrifice. And then you have James 5.15 that says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Why? Because if you're healed, if God wants you well, he wants you well. If he wants you healed, he wants you saved. You know? That's why anyone can be healed. Anyone can be healed. You don't have to be saved to be healed. Why? Because Jesus loves you and he's going to prove it. He already made the sacrifice. Revelation tells us that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. That's why all of this could happen before he ever, it ever manifested on earth. Because it was a done deal. It was a done deal. So anyone who we pray for can be healed. If one of you believes, that's it. If one of you believes, deliverance was twofold when they came out of Egypt, right? Deliverance was twofold because they, Moses brought them out of Egypt. We all know that story, right? But then Psalm 105, 27 says when they came out, there was not one feeble among them because deliverance is always twofold. He'll deliver you from captivity, like, you know, out of the world, out of sin. Sin no longer is your master, right? Right? He delivers you from sin, and he makes you well. They go hand in hand. We shouldn't have one and not the other. I hope this gets sown in your heart so deep tonight. We shouldn't have one without the other. The same Jesus that guaranteed your salvation on the cross guaranteed your healing. Deuteronomy 6.23 says he brought them out to bring them in. See, when, when Jesus redeemed us, He didn't just, pastor said it on Sunday, Romans 5, 17 and 18. When you receive grace and the gift of righteousness, you're to reign in life. Reign in life. Can you say that? Reign in life. 
reign. That means rule. You're to rule in this life. Rule in this life. That means when he pulled you out to bring you in, he didn't just pull you to get you out of trouble. He didn't just pull you out of sin and leave you here. No, now you're supposed to reign. In fact, it says in the Bible that Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Who do you think is going to do that? You and me. You and me. We're going to do that. We're doing that. We're doing that. Tonight we're doing that. The message translation says, for Romans 5, 17 and 18, more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. (laughs) He didn't just bring, just save us from our sins. No, he saved us from our sins for us to dominate. To have life like he meant it to be lived in the garden. Because when he forgave us, he, he reversed it. You know, I know Eric did a message a while back about restoration. And God never restores you back to the original. It's better. It's better. So not only did he put us back in the garden to reign in life, he gave us authority over Satan. I mean, it's amazing. I'm so thankful. I'm absolutely thankful. So if Jesus bore our sins and took the punishment for our sins, even in our court system today, it would be illegal for us to bear our, our sicknesses or our sins. Why? Because only one person gets punished. If you do that, in, even in, in this natural world, it's called double jeopardy. Everybody remember that movie? <laughs> it's called double jeopardy. You can only get punished for crime one time. That's it. So for, it would be illegal for us to bear our sicknesses. Illegal. It's illegal. So why are people, why, why are they sick? Right? So, so why? If it's illegal, why are they sick? How many of you have ever seen a country western movie? Raise all your hands. All y'all, raise your hands. <laughs> I always find it amazing in Western movies that there's bad guys and law-abiding citizens. They always use that term, law-abiding citizens. Why? Because bad guys don't abide by the law. Right? They're not law-abiding. That's what makes them different, right? Well, it's illegal for you to bear your sicknesses. But we have bad guys who don't care what the law is. So they're going to come, Right? And try to get you to take it. Right? I mean, they try to steal from you. And that's what the devil does, right? He's a thief. He comes to take your life. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. Right? And sickness takes your life. He's trying to steal your life. But. So. We have to enforce the law. It is illegal for me to bear sickness. It's illegal. Jesus already did it. I am not going to do it. I'm going to enforce the law. How do I do that? By the word of God. Amen. Right? When the devil came to Jesus, what did he do? Spoke the word. Spoke, it is written. It, it, no, devil, it is written. In fact, let me tell you a story about this that I was able to share with Pastor Annette. Um, last week sometime, I was eating. I don't know. I had dinner or something, and then I was sitting on the sofa, and my stomach just started giving me these crazy pains. And I was like, you know, and your mind goes to all the stories you hear, all the commercials on TV, all the stories you hear about people with their gluten issues. And, and if you have gluten issues, you're going to get redeemed tonight. But um, your mind goes to all of that, you know, like, oh, this is the world we live in. You know, maybe I ate something. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. Everything God made is good. Amen. And I know to pray for my food. So I stopped right then. I thought about it and I stopped and I said, Lord. My food is blessed. And then out of my spirit came, my food is blessed. 
And it's a blessing to my body. Like there is nothing I'm going to eat that's not going to be a blessing to my body. I'm claiming it. And those pains completely left. Like the, the minute I prayed, I'm not even kidding you, left. But the next day, I ate dinner again. And guess what? They came back. Because the devil's persistent. Hello, guys. He hates us. He hates us. He's testing to see what you really believe. What do you really know? Right? What are you going to really do? He's going to keep bringing you symptoms until you say, until you prove to him, you're not, you're not having it. It's illegal. Right? So I did the exact same prayer. I said, no, no stomach. Our food is blessed and it's a blessing to my body. You know, those pains left and I haven't had another pain since. You got to enforce it. You got to enforce the law. That's why pastor's messages on Sundays this world amazing you have got to know your righteousness you have got to know you are righteous right there is no fear when you know you're righteous because he can't do anything to you he can't touch you it's not based on how you're behaving it's based on jesus and your acceptance of him being your substitute you've got to stand in your righteousness that and this is why this is why Things like this, right? Because the accuser will come, just like Pastor said, right? And you got to cast him down, right? Cast him down. Psalm 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them. He sent his word. Now, that was Jesus in reality, but that's for you today. If you've got pain, you stick to the word. That's your weapon. Spirit, right? That's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Your weapon is the word of God. So you got to enforce the law by speaking the word. And the bad guys go. Guess what? The word of God is a better, quicker draw, right? Like you see those movies, they draw on you. It doesn't matter how quick he draws on you, your gun will put his gun to shame. Your bullet will hit his bullet on the way. It doesn't matter, right? All right. So bad guys don't obey the law, so you've got to enforce the law, right? Next, let's talk about communion. Because 1 Corinthians, we can turn there. 1 Corinthians 11, 29 and 30 says, Paul's talking to me. He says, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep, meaning die. Are we taking the communion and not remembering what it's for? That body was broken for me. That blood was shed for me. For what? Forgiveness of sins and healing of my body. Let's go back to Isaiah and and Peter. Right? He forgives my iniquities. He heals all my sicknesses. Every time I take communion, it's a reminder to me that I am healed. I am forgiven. I am saved. And I am healed. Now, let me tell you a story about this. So, in, I don't know, 2011, 2012... My, my dad went in for a checkup because um, he had this weird cough. And uh, so they wanted to take an MRI or x-ray or whatever. And so he was at the hospital. Well, the tech, who doesn't even read x-rays, thought she saw something weird on it. So she went and got someone to look at it before he left the hospital. Well, come to find out, he had like... And it wasn't even supposed to read. It was supposed to be like down here or something. And anyway, the x-ray or MRI or whatever caught some of his lung. Well, come to find out, he had blood clots in his lungs. And it was like, what? And then it was like, um, 
I don't know, 50% or something? Crazy. They're like, Mr. Montgomery, are you okay? Are you, can you breathe? And he's like, um, fine. Like, we didn't even know there was anything wrong, right? Because God is good. <laughs> and so they kept him in the hospital. And then come to find out he had like, like cancer. So he, you know, right away they want to put you on chemo. Well, they couldn't even believe he was breathing. They wanted to bring in a, like, respirator. You know, and so we're in there, we're laughing and talking and they're coming and telling us all this. And we're like, whoa, okay, no, yeah, everything's good. You know, I'm like in the room with them. We're laughing and talking like we always do, you know. And uh, my sister, my younger, one of my younger sisters is a physician's assistant. So when she got there and she read the charts, she just started crying because it was like serious. So, but we're still like, well, he's doing fine, you know. Well, anyway, so they wanted him to go through radiation so or chemo, not radiation, chemo. So he prayed about it, and God said, um, I don't know if he said this at the start or during, but he said three and done, you know. And so that's what he did, because you do what God tells you to do. <laughs> Just like you look on the serpent. Those people could have said, no, God wants me healed, God wants me healed, and never look. But the command was, look on the serpent and be healed, right? So do what God tells you to do. Go to God and find out your instructions. Because everybody's instructions are different, you know? So get your instructions. Don't necessarily not take medicine. So anyway, so he went through his um, chemo. And every time we went, we took him to go get chemo, um, me and my mom usually, um, we would take communion before his chemo. Because God's a God that heals us, right? And uh, we have covenant. And I can honestly tell you, we never feared that that cancer would ever do anything to him because we knew these things that I'm telling you tonight. No, it can't. It's illegal. You guys understand it's illegal. It cannot be us if we just stand up to it and stand on the word, stand on the word, stand on the word, stand on the word until you win. You never, ever, ever give up. You know, you wouldn't want to go, let's say you died anyway. Would you really want to go to heaven, having given up? No, just keep standing. If you die, you die. Right. But I'm going in faith. Right. I mean, that's my attitude. Anyway, so we would take communion every time and he had absolutely no side effects from the chemo. I mean, then one time they forgot to take communion that night. He got an extremely high fever. And, you know, because, again, this is what Paul was talking about. Communion can't become a routine. And you don't just, you don't trust in the ritual. (laughs) You trust in the principle behind the ritual. You trust that his body was broken for you. You don't just take it, you know, and trust in that, oh, I'm taking communion. That's like, oh, I go to church. So what? That's not what makes you a Christian. That's not what's going to get you into heaven, right? No, we go to church because we love God, right? And we want him to know it. And we want everyone else to know it, right? So another story about communion. So um, I don't remember what year this was, but we had a young girl, um, just graduated high school, I think, in our, our uh, young adults, was coming to our young adults class. And, and one, night, one day she got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Well, if you know anything about Crohn's disease, it's like in your intestines or something. I'm not really sure. But it's really painful, and it causes you to bleed and things like that. And um, one night, God just woke me up in the middle of the night. It was like, 
I don't even know what time. It was early, early morning, maybe like 3 a.m. or something, and just to pray for Gabby. And so I, I went downstairs, and I got out my healing confessions, and I was speaking the healing confessions over her, putting her name in it, just speaking them and um, until, like, it just rose up in me, you know, that, no, she's healed. You know, this is real, and this girl is healed. And I just had an awareness that it was done, you know. And um, so as I prayed for her, and I, I did the healing confessions until I felt that. And then when I prayed for her, the Lord said to me, I want you to go see her tomorrow, you and Eric, to go see her tomorrow and take communion. Because she needs new blood. And Jesus' blood was shed for her. Okay, Lord, I can do that. You know, but how many of you know, I mean, this wasn't a girl that came to our church. Her family didn't come to our church. And now I'm going to have to go to her home, you know. And she might not know anything about this. I don't know, you know. So it was like faith for me to even go. You know, and like knock on the door and, hey, hey, uh, let's have some communion. I mean, you know, it's like (laughs) awkward, right? So I showed up at her house. We got the bread and the juice, you know, and I walk in and I called her, Gabby, hey, we're going to come see you. God told me some things I need to share with you. And so we walked, walked in the house, sat down and she's like, what's up? And so we told her, you know, we were praying for you last night. She's like, oh my gosh, I was up last night. And I was in extreme pain, and I was bleeding, and it was bad. And then right around 3 a.m., it just stopped, and I slept, and I was able to go to bed and sleep. So that gave me confidence, right? So now I'm like, well, the Lord said (laughs) we're going to take communion. Well, then she says, my grandma got healed taking communion. So now she has faith for the communion, you know? So I'm like, oh, praise God. So we took the communion, and then she got a report, I don't know, a couple weeks later that the Crohn's was gone. Praise God. Praise God. So why are people sick? One, they don't enforce it. Two, they forget about it. Three, how about he has to wait on you or someone in the situation to accept him as a healer? you got to accept him as a healer, just like you're not saved until you accept him as Savior. (laughs) Right? But most of us have accepted him as Savior. But most of us, some of us, have yet to, like, be confident that he's your healer. So that's what tonight is about. It's about building confidence. Amen? Amen? So we also then, you know, sometimes you can, like me, get healed in a prayer, but then the devil brings it back, and then you're like, oh, I thought I was healed. Right? So that's another reason sometimes people get sick is because the devil will bring it back around, right? And this is the thing. You've got to believe the testimony of God more than the testimony of your senses. Who are you going to believe more? God is more. He's truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Right? So what God says is truth. So I've got to believe God's word, what God has said, the testimony, God's testimony, more than I believe the testimony of what my senses are saying. So I can't rely on my senses to tell me what the truth is. God, let God be true. And every man and every sense a liar, right? Let God be true. I've got to let God be true in my life and stick with him. Stick up for him. He's truth. So I've, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't feel healed. Well, I don't always feel forgiven, but I never doubt that I am. So why are we doubting that we're healed? Do you hear me? I know. I don't always feel forgiven. Anyone ever done something bad and then you felt bad? And even though you asked for forgiveness, the feeling of feeling bad didn't go away. 
right? It didn't go away. You still felt bad, but what do you do? What do I do? When I still feel bad after I messed up, I have to tell myself, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness, and the Bible says I am. So I choose to believe that over how I feel. And that's what you do with health. You say, the blood of Jesus healed me. The Bible says I'm healed. And I choose to believe that over how I feel. You do your part and then God does his part. Right? And our part is, what did Jesus tell Jairus? Only believe. That was Jairus's part. Only believe. Just believe. You know, if the blood of Jesus doesn't work, what can I mean, we sing songs about the power of the blood all the time, but what's more powerful than that? I mean, yeah, we can go to medicine and thank God for doctors. In his mercy, he gave us medicine and doctors. Praise God. I mean, I'm so thankful, Lord. So thankful for your mercy. It's new every day. But if, if I don't trust in his blood that forgives me, even though I don't feel like it, what else is there? The devil will be quick to come and tell some, cutting, you need to cut yourself. But Jesus already did that. Jesus was already cut for you. You don't need to cut yourself. He bled for you. He was cut. By his stripes, we're healed. I'm so thankful. I'm so, I can't even imagine He doesn't want you to hurt yourself. He already hurt. He took that so that you never would have to. He loves you so much. So our part is just to believe. You know, pastor said it last week when he talked about Naaman. What did Naaman do? He heard about a prophet. He believed what the girl said. He got on his horse or whatever, and he went, right? And when he got there, he got the word, and guess what? He did it. Right? He believed and he did it. I'm giving you the word tonight. Naaman was the only leper healed, Pastor said, according to the word. The only leper healed during Elisha's day. And he wasn't even from Israel. It's pathetic. Guys, don't let people come through these, these back doors new next week that gets healing and you don't. I mean, let them get healing too, but come on, let's the inside, let's get it first (laughs) or just as well, right? Yeah, we shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way that somebody brand new hears about it, grabs it, and we sit here year after year after year and don't get it. Only believe, only believe. John 3, 14 through 16. You guys know 16. I'll read through 17. You can turn there. We'll take a minute to turn there. John 3. Verse 14. And as this is Jesus speaking, words of red. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
that the world through him might be saved. That word saved is the word sozo. It is the exact same word that's found in Romans 10, 9. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you shall be saved. Sozo, right? It's the exact same verse as word as Mark 6, 56. As many as touched him were made well. Same word. Luke 7, 47 through 50, that lady comes, cleans Jesus' feet. Right? The Pharisees are like, does he know who this woman is? He says, woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Same sozo word. The same sozo word he uses about sins being forgiven. Confess and believe that you'll be saved. Is the same as many as touched them were made well. Same word. Only believe. Only believe. Your faith has saved you. In Exodus 15, 26, before the story of the serpent on the pole. The Israelites are complaining about not having water. And God God says to them, he gives them water. And then he says these words, Exodus 15, 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which were brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. And so that's where we get the word Jehovah Rapha, right? That's his name. His name is who he is. I am the Lord that heals you. Now, it was, I was looking at that and I was thinking, Lord, I mean, it sure would have been kind of like, you know, appropriate. Because, you know, sometimes we tell God how smart we are. Lord, it sure would have been appropriate, I said to God, if at that point when you gave them water, if you would have said, I'm Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Because you were providing water, Lord. Because I'm like thinking, why? Why did you choose now to say, I'm the Lord who heals you? And, you know, I ask questions to the Lord so that he'll tell me the answers. And so he said to me, I was dealing with the root issue. Because were they really needing, why were they, why were they wanting water? Because if you don't get water, what happens? You die. Right? Right? And he was dealing with their fear of death because what did they say over and over and over and over and over and over again? We're going to die in this wilderness. We're going to die. We should just go back to Egypt. We're going to die. It was like so dreary. It's like in my Bible, I have like rolling eyes next to almost every time they say it. I mean, I'll prove it to you. I really do. I'm like, seriously, people? This is God we're talking about. I do. I have rolling eyes in my Bible. Eyes looking up like... Yeah, I have an emoji Bible. So, he was dealing with their fear of death, right? So, he has to deal with the fear of death. So, Luke ten nineteen. Let's deal. Let's deal with this for us. Luke, let's look what else Jesus has to say about this. I am the God that heals you. In other words, what's bigger than me? What's more powerful than me? What can the devil do to you that I can't beat? He's the God of the resurrection. 
hollow, right? Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing, nothing, nothing shall by any means harm you. Are we going to believe that verse? Is it read that way in your Bible? Yeah. When are we going to believe that verse? Get rid of this fear of death, this fear of sickness, this fear of man, this fear of whatever you have. Nothing shall by any means harm you. Nothing. This is God speaking, right? How about John 16, 33? Who has an amplified? Who, who's got an amplified? Anybody? Anybody got an amplified Bible? Anybody got a phone with an amplified version? John 16, 33. Maybe they'll put it on the screen for me. I have told you. Oh, thank you. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. Let's get some confidence. In the world you have tribulations and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident. Be certain. Be undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I've conquered it for you. Thank you so much. Right? It's time for us to stand up and start saying these verses out of our mouth. He's deprived it of its power to harm you. Took it out. It can't harm you. Nothing shall by any means harm you. Let's get some confidence. Right? Let's get some confidence in our God. He's the God of the victory, the God of the resurrection. What can he not do for you? When they said, how are you going to get us? We want food. We want food, Moses. And Moses like, food? Wow. God, I don't know how you're going to get them food. God said, I'm going to get them food, and they're going to eat it till it comes out their nose. And Moses was like, Moses. I mean, it's, read it. It's in your Bible. That's what he says. So Moses says, God, I don't know about this one. What does God say? Is my arm so short? Has my arm shortened? There's nothing too difficult for our God. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is too difficult for him. It doesn't matter what their report is. Your report says. This report says nothing shall by any means harm you. So it doesn't matter what their report says. You have the last word. You have the final word. So you need to stand on it. I'm going to tell you right now that God is the ultimate survivor. He outwitted, he outplayed, and he will outlast the devil. He will. He's done it. It's over. He's already outwitted him. He knows his game, right? The devil learned everything he knows from God. He can't do anything. Everything he does is a counterfeit. He's not a creator. He has no original ideas at all. Everything he does is a counterfeit and a lie. Right? So God is greater. I mean, it's so simple. God is greater. He's bigger. He's stronger. There's nothing my God cannot do. Anybody remember that VeggieTales song? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Thank God for Veggie Tales. <laughs> All right. How about when was the last time you read Psalm ninety-one? Yes. How about Psalm ninety-one? Let me let me read a few verses for you. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Yes. Yes. 
Only with your eye will you look and behold the reward of the wicked. That they got a reward coming. There's bad things going to happen to them. They're not under covenant. You are. Only with your eyes will you look and see that kind of stuff. It's not coming near you. Right? Because you've made the Lord, who's my refuge, the most high, your dwelling place, you better run to him, right? Those Israelites, those silly Israelites, every time something happened, they just complained. That God showed them so much in Egypt. Water out of a rock, bread from heaven. Are you kidding me? And all they could do was complain? Why not just turn to God? What a great idea. Right? How about we just turn to God and let him deal? He's pretty good at it. He's shown us he can do it. Right? Because you've made him your dwelling place, your refuge, where you run for protection. No evil. Hello? No evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Is that the word of God or not? Come on, people. Right? I mean, I'm talking to myself. I mean, let's get some confidence in this God we serve and what he's got to say. Now, I'm, I'm, I may be a nerd, but I'm no dummy. Okay? So, I understand tonight when I delivered this message to you that... <clears throat> Some people may have questions. I hope not. I hope you're being convinced by the word of God and it's getting rid of any doubt and any wavering at all because that's the goal. And let me just challenge you. You Look, if you're not certain about what I'm telling you, my challenge to you is just start meditating on what these verses I've given you today. If you will just start meditating them, the Holy Spirit will make them revelation and real to you. But we've got to take the time to become certain. In Numbers 14, you guys know the story. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to reference it. But you know the, those spies went into the promised land, and they came back out. And 10 of them had a bad report, and 2 of them had a good report, right? Well, it says, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. Why? Because they believed the bad report. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. (laughs) Really? So then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the Lord. I mean, that would be like Pastor Justin. He's like hearing us complain like this. And all of a sudden he just hits the ground like, oh, God, forgive that, forgive that. Because, I mean, this is the God Almighty that we're serving. So Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They're so upset. They tore their clothes. They spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people. They are bread. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. Now y'all are with me, right? And all the congregation said, stone them with stones. (laughs) Verse 10. Here they are telling the truth. The reason I say this tonight is because I'm telling you the truth. Don't shoot the messenger. If you have a problem with what I'm saying, 
Go to scripture. So did they. Did it work out well for them? No. See, I'm going into the promised land. <laughs> I'm going in. I'm going. You, me, going. We're going in. I'm going in. I'm going in. I'm going to believe these verses. I'm telling you tonight, I'm not going to be sick. I'm not going to die early. I'm going to live to the fullness of my days. I'm taking my promises. I'm taking my promised land. But if you don't want to believe me, if you want to believe the negative report, if you want to believe your experiences, if you want to believe Aunt Matilda, who was a good Christian, you can believe that if you want. But God's word speaks louder to me than any of that. And I'm not basing what I believe on other people's experiences, no matter how real. And I'm not putting down anyone's experiences. But that's why I bring this up. It's because you have a choice. You have a choice on what you're going to believe tonight. You can say, yeah, Nikki, those are the verses, but. (laughs) See, God can even do that. (laughs) So, but let me tell you what God's response was to these people. So if you're a yeah, but, or anything like that, let me just give you (laughs) what God said next. So they all said, let's stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle. Whoa, God showed up. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all these signs I've performed? These aren't Bible stories, people. These are our fathers in the faith. These were for our admonition so that we know who we are, what God will do for us, what he did for them, he'll do for us. What they got wrong, we can get right. Pastor said on Sunday, all of creation is waiting, eagerly awaiting for the manifesting of the sons of God. That's us. You know who that is? Those who will be led by God, who believe God, who will take the promised land because he said we could. Who will get healed because he said we could. That's who that is. So we have got to be believers. We can't be doubters. We can't believe bad reports. We can't because that's rejecting God. And we've got to start recognizing that when, when, when we rebel, it says in Hebrews 2 through 4, it goes back over the story. Paul does. He goes back over Hebrews. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. Are you hearing his voice? Today, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. That's what God is upset about. It's when your heart isn't with him. You won't believe him. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He goes on, he said, for who having heard rebelled, talking about the Israelites, who having heard rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? Now, with whom was he angry those 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? What was the sin? 
not believing God. That's the only sin, guys. That's the only sin left, is not believing. Not believing. It says, and to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So they rebelled, which means they sinned, which means they didn't obey. And why? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It just comes down to believing. Choosing whether we're going to believe it or not. You will enter into every single promise God has made to you if you will just believe. But if you will just, that word unbelief, it's not like we're ignorant. It's not like those of you sitting in this church are ignorant. We're not an ignorant church. We get the word. So we can't claim ignorance. So for us, it would be disbelief. That means you refuse to believe. See, we have to be convinced by God what he says by this word. Take this word as his word. We have to be persuaded like Abraham was. Fully persuaded that what he said he could do, he can do. Fully persuaded. Sure. We have to be sure of it. Sure of it. Certain. Absolutely certain. How many times does the Bible say on a certain day? It says of the woman with the issue of blood. A certain woman with an issue of blood. What if you read that instead of some woman as a fully persuaded woman? Because that fully persuaded woman said, if I only touch his garment, I'll be healed. The story of this is that all you have to do is look at this to know you're healed. See Jesus on the cross and know you're healed. You've got to be certain. So when's your certain day? How about you just choose to be certain today? Right? And make today your certain day. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Because once you believe this and it becomes real to you and you walk in it and sickness doesn't stand a chance, then you'll be so certain that when someone comes to you and tells you about so-and-so is sick, you will say like Jesus, I will come and heal him. You are so certain. Jesus was certain. When he said, I will come and heal him, that Roman centurion, there was no other option to him. No other option. He was certain it was going to happen. We should be so certain and then convince other people to be certain. Amen? Amen.